Now grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them to the 22nd chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And uh, you follow, as I read, two paragraphs out of Luke 22. Stay with me, I'll, I'll, um, I'll tell you where I am. But we're going to start at verse 31. Luke 22:31. Let me just read um, through verse 34. Familiar scene. Jesus is speaking and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, Strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Verse 54. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. Hey guys, we're, um, we're doing a little three-part series in the midst of a 12-part series. It's kind of a series within a series. The 12-part series has to do with the, um, with the life of Peter. We've been looking at Peter and how, how God has grown him. But within that, that, that 12 week series, this little three weeks that we're in now has to do with a real dark chapter in the life of Peter. You know about it. Peter's denying Jesus Christ. And so two weeks ago, when I was last with you, we looked at that part of the story where Peter says, I would never do that. And, um, I, I tried to convince you that that is a real dangerous posture. Um, a real dangerous, uh, self-confidence. That, that's what we did two weeks ago. Today, we, we come to the event, kind of the event itself, the, the, the actual what Peter does in the denial. Now, guys, this is the second time in, this, in the life of Peter where we have seen Satan gain influence over Peter. 
The first one, you may recall, took place in Matthew 16. Remember that when Jesus said, uh, who do men say that I am? And uh, Peter finally steps forward and says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus goes on to say, well, I've got to go to Jerusalem and die. And Peter says, oh, no, you don't. You're not doing that. And, and Jesus looks to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Remember that? That's the first time that we saw Satan have some kind of influence over Peter. This is the second time. Um, you know, guys, there's only two times in the Bible where, where we're told that Satan tempts an individual, at least an individual who is named. The first one, of course, is Job. You remember that, uh, Job chapter 1, um, when Satan appears before God and says, you know, he serves you because of what he can get out of this and all that. And, and uh, of course, this wrecks Job's life. The other one is Peter. And there's a good deal of similarity between these two. And I'm going to try to point some of it out. That is, the, um, the similarities between what Satan did with Job and what Satan is up to with Peter. Now, guys, I am in no way trying to minimize um, what what Peter did. The the ugliness and the gravity of this denial um, of Peter. But I think it would help you to to better understand it all if you if you saw it as a culmination in a long series of very confusing disappointments for Peter. In a matter of about 12 to 14 hours, one evening, let me show you what I'm talking about. I'm saying this, a lot has gone on. A lot has taken place in a matter, in a brief span of time, uh, Peter has had to deal with (coughs) and wrestle with a a good deal. For instance, there was the, um, the Judas bombshell. You remember, Jesus says, somebody's going to betray me and... And uh, he's finally identified as um, as uh, Judas. Remember that. And then in in a that, that same setting, uh, Peter watches Jesus do something that he never thought he would ever see him do. You know, just days earlier he had seen him on the top of Mount Transfiguration, uh, turned into resplendent light, and then in this room he does the work of a common laborer. A slave. He washes feet. And then Peter also witnessed Jesus' emotional breakdown at Gethsemane. Um, you know, where Jesus sweats drops of blood and, and uh, says, let this cup pass from me. And then, of course, there's the arrest. That's kind of ugly. And then the, and, and on top of it all... There's this bloody ear incident. You remember that? When, when Peter yanks at his sword and chops off this guy's ear. Remember that? And so there's Peter standing with, left with a bloody sword in his hand, being rebuked by Jesus as Jesus is being bound and led away by his arresters. In the mind of Peter, a Messiah just doesn't do this stuff. He doesn't, he doesn't submit. He doesn't serve. He doesn't surrender. And, and Peter had seen him do all three of those things in a matter of a few hours. Guys, um, 
it's a lot like, it's similar, I think, to what Job experienced. Do you remember? His life was going pretty well, and then wave after wave after wave after wave of, you know, you you're lost your cattle, you lost your sheep, you lost your land, you lost your kids. And, and in the midst of that onslaught, um, Job is succumbs. Well, I'm suggesting that Peter's situation is somewhat like that. Peter gives up his fight, I think in, in some measure, only because he thinks Jesus is giving up his fight. Now, guys, I, I said to you two weeks ago that, that all four of the Gospels tell this story. And, and I suggested to you, and I, and I still believe this, that the, the Gospel writers apparently knew that a whole lot of people like us would need a story like this uh, after our own denials. And so the, the New Testament wanted to make sure that you knew this story because eventually you're going to need it. Now, so I want to look at it um, a little bit more closely. Just two quick things. Well, actually, not quick. But two things, two halves. First of all, guys, remember I said... Um, well, actually, the text says Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Well, what I want to show you is maybe a little bit about what that sifting would look like. Let me read you this. This is in Luke chapter, you don't need to turn, uh, Luke chapter 12. It says this. Jesus is speaking and he says, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Now, Jesus had taught that earlier. He had taught it to Peter. Here's my point. You can bet that that sifting on the part of Peter included that verse. Included that part of the onslaught. When he approaches Peter and says, hey, Peter, what about this? You know, Jesus said that if you deny him before men, you'll be denied before God. Satan labors to prove that Peter is liable and, and guilty, liable for wrath, condemned. He would have him to question whether or not he is really forgiven or not. You ever been there? You did what? How could you make claims to being a part of it after you have done that? You really think, you really think that God's going to forgive you for something that bad? You really think that forgiveness covers something that dark? The other thing that, that, that I think the sifting would look like. Guys, remember when, when Satan appears before God to talk about Job? And he says to God something like this. He says, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Job serves you all right. Of course he serves you. I mean, before, I mean, who wouldn't serve you if you gave him all that? I mean, but he only serves you for what he can get out of that. It's a big show. 
I mean, you let me have him, you let me afflict him, and, and he will curse you to his face. He only serves you for what he can get out of it. Remember that? Well, you can bet that was a part of the sifting as well. When Satan goes back to Peter and says, um, Hey, Peter, <laughs> you know you're a phony. You're not the real thing, Peter. I mean, where was all this love for Jesus over there in the courtyard, Peter? <laughs> yeah, Peter. You love him, do you? Well, where was it when you were around that campfire in the courtyard? You're a phony. Now, guys, um, Peter has quite an enemy. And the enemy has got a lot of um, data to use against him. He's got a lot of data to use against you, too. A lot of stuff. And two of the ways that I, that I would suggest to you that he's going to use it is the same way he's using it with Peter. You really think you're forgiven? You're nothing but a phony. Where, 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 where was all your love for Jesus when you did that? But guys, um, Peter survived. And um, how did he do that? How did he make it through those accusations that are loud and clear in the midst of the night? How does Peter survive? The text tells us. Jesus says, um, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but. But I have prayed for you. The, the way that Peter survives is because Jesus, and, and you'll notice in the text, it says, when you turn, not if you turn, when you turn, I want you to encourage your brothers. But the reason that you're going to turn, Peter, is because I have prayed for you. Jesus Christ is playing the role of intercessor on the part of Peter. Jesus prays for Peter, okay? Now, guys, what you're getting a look at in this uh, in this particular incident is Jesus Christ playing the role of Peter's advocate. That's a big word. We're going to come back to it again and again before we're finished. But, but I want you to see this, guys. If you've never seen this, you, you just keep your finger in Luke 22 and see if you can find 1 John real fast. First John, it's way in the back of the New Testament. It's after first and second Peter. If you can find Hebrews, James, first and second Peter, first John. If you've got those little thumb things in your Bible, they'll be very helpful at this moment. First John, I want you to see this, guys. First John chapter two, verse one. My little children. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have, there it is, an advocate with the Father. 
Jesus Christ the righteous. Do you see it, ladies and gentlemen? I don't want you to sin, says John. But if you do, you need to know this. You have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, gang, that's a big word, and you've got to enjoy it. Um, it's, it's, let me slow down. Guys, the, the Greek word is the word parakletos. You, you've heard that word before, uh, paraklete. In your translations, every time the translator comes to the Greek word parakletos, they have trouble. They have trouble translating the word parakletos. That's the word that you found in 1 John 2, 1, translated advocate. In John 16, the same word is found. It is, it is translated helper. It is translated counselor. It is translated comforter. Although I did hear one preacher say he doesn't like the comforter word because it makes Jesus sound like a quilt. So, but the English translators do use the word comforter. And then they use the word advocate. Four different English words in an attempt to explain and, and translate one word. Parakletos. The paraclete. The one who is my advocate. Now guys, anytime in the Bible you find different translations of the same word, what you're seeing is translators struggling to give you the sense of a Greek term. And the one Greek term is too rich for any one English word. And so, because they can't put four words in the spot, you get these various translations of the word. Because they're all trying to say, now what is it, what, what can I use that would properly communicate What's what the sense of the word is? The Greek word is parakletos. Gang, it's a combination of a verb and a preposition. Para is the preposition. Kaleo is the verb. The, the noun is kletos. Kaleo means to call. Para means alongside. The called alongside one is the wooden rendering of the word my favorite is the word advocate advocate now i'm asking you this how did peter survive he had an advocate now guys um we're we're gonna we're gonna spend lots of time on that word but Let me show you something back in Luke 22 quickly because I'm trying to simply answer this. How did Peter survive? There's one thing that I want you to see in the text and then we'll move back to the word advocate. But it's in uh, verse 61. Gang, uh, Luke 22, 61. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Guys, in the Greek language, there's a couple of verbs that could have been used if the... if If the Holy Spirit intended to tell you that Jesus turned around and looked at Peter. There's a couple of words that the Holy Spirit could have used that were at his disposal. The word that it was used is the word emblepo. 
The word in blepo is not like, hmm, I looked and saw. I look, oh, look at there. There's, I look. That's not the, the, the sense of that word. It's a, it's a, the best English word that I could come up with is gaze. Jesus turned and gazed. There's this intensive, piercing gaze. And Peter is overpowered by that. Now guys, the text doesn't say that. I am, I am suggesting that there was something in this gaze that communicated something to Jesus. Excuse me, something to Peter. And the reason I think that is because Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. You're darn right he should. He did. And he should. After what he did, he should be overcome with the sense of his sin. But you need to notice what he didn't do. He didn't, like Judas, go out and hang himself. Because what I'm suggesting is simply this, guys. There was something in that gaze that was a part of Jesus's advocacy for Peter. There was something being communicated when Jesus turns to look, but it's not a glance. It's a piercing gaze. And so indeed, he goes out in despair and he's, he weeps bitterly. Yes, he should weep bitterly over his sin. But he doesn't hang himself like Judas did. This advocacy that I want you to see this morning, guys, begins with that look. The reason Peter survived is because Jesus Christ played the role of an advocate. And it began, I'm suggesting, in verse 61. It began with an emblepo. With a piercing gaze on the part of Jesus. I, I could spend the rest of the, the time together. But guys, we got to go because I want you to see something richer than that. It has to do with this whole idea of being an advocate. Now remember, the Greek word is parakaleo, parakletos. The word advocate I'm importing from 1 John 2.1. I'm importing it into Luke chapter 22, where Jesus says, and when you, uh, but I have prayed for you. Because what's being portrayed there is Jesus' advocacy on the, on the behalf of Peter. Now guys, think with me for a few minutes. Do you know what an advocate is? An advocate, by the way, um, I, I told you that parakletos means called alongside. Well, an advocate comes from a Latin term, vocare, which means to call, call to or towards. But do you know what an advocate is? An advocate is someone who is for you. He's loyal to you. He argues on your behalf. He defends you against your enemies. 
He represents you. Jesus argues Peter's case before the Father. He pleads for Peter before the Father. Will God abandon me for what I have done? And our advocate steps forward representing us and says, Father, I've paid for him. Yes, Father, what what he's done is awful. But you can't condemn him, Father. Because I've already been condemned in his place. Father, I've already paid for him. And if you punish him, that means... You will punish, you would have punished his sin twice. You can't punish him for his sin. Because you've already punished me for it. Guys, this, this whole image of advocacy, this whole image of being an advocate assumes that there is a bar of justice before which we will all stand. That is true. A bar of justice before which we will all stand. And God is the judge in this courtroom, like you see in Zechariah 3, verses 1 through 5. But in that courtroom, I have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous, represents me in that court. He is my advocate. And ladies and gentlemen, you need to understand this. My advocate does not simply plead for mercy. He doesn't simply say, oh, God... Hey, you know, he's a nice guy. Could you just give him one more chance? No, that's not what I'm describing. Gang, a legal advocate makes a case based on the law. He secures my acquittal by appealing to satisfied law. Father, His sin, Jimmy Young's, it's been paid for. I paid it, says my advocate. Two payments would simply be unjust. I demand acquittal. Based on what I have done for him, I demand acquittal. I plead for justice. The law has been satisfied for this man. And I'm the one, says Jesus, who satisfied it. Guys, 
all other religions. Only Christianity has this message. All other religions promotes an idea of, of lady justice. You know, you've seen Lady Justice. She's out in front of every courtroom in America. And there she stands with her little scales. And, you know, they're kind of tipped, you know. And the, and the idea is that all the bad things that I've done needs to get balanced off by some good things that I've done. In the hope that, that in the end, the scales might be tipped in my favor. Because the good deeds have outweighed the bad deeds. Bad news, ladies and gentlemen. Bad news. There are no good deeds. We have no good deeds. The Bible in Isaiah 64 says, all our works are as filthy rags. And ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to know what that filthy rag term means, you, you see me after the sermon. Because what it really means is just a little bit too raw for this pulpit. The whole idea of lady justice. That's every other religion that you can ascribe to. Not Christianity. Christianity has an advocate who appears before the throne room of God in my, on my behalf and says to the judge, you can't condemn him because his sin has already been paid for. And you know, the amazing thing, ladies and gentlemen, is that you and I have a problem with that. You and I have a problem with the gospel. We have a problem with being saved by grace. We have a problem with someone else providing the merit by which I can be saved. Because really, I want to earn this thing. I, I, I want to be in control of my soul's destiny. I don't want to be dependent on him. I want to do it. And so deep down, we fear that one day Jesus is going to say to the Father, Oh, Father, just, just give him one more chance. And the Father is finally going to say, Nope. I'm done. This has been going on for way too long. You know, I hear people say stuff like this. You, you, you probably said it. Well, I know that God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a false gospel. Since when did you have to forgive sin anyway? You know, there's a story in the life of Jesus in Mark chapter 2 where Jesus heals this paralytic. 
And um, before he heals him, before he tells him to get up and walk away, he says, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees say, well, who does he think he is? I mean, only God can forgive sins. Ladies and gentlemen, the Pharisees understand that better than we do. What do you mean you can't forgive your sin? No, you can't. You were never intended to. That's a false gospel. You want to hear the real one? It's the one that Peter heard. It's the one that Peter grasped. And it was the reason that Peter survived. It goes something like this. Jesus said something like, I'm making all this up, but Jesus said something like this to Peter. Hey, Peter. Feeling like a failure, are you? (laughs) Hey, hey, Peter. Engaging in a bit of self-loathing, are you, Peter? Hey, Peter. You know how badly you blew it? Peter. You need an advocate. And here's the gospel. And Peter, you've got one. Guys, the only way that Peter makes it is because of Jesus Christ the righteous. It's the only way any of us are going to make it because we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Oh God, would you convince us of that? Would you convince every one of us that the only hope that we have is locked up in, bound up in the finished work of Jesus Christ, both his life, his death, that he was the one who provided the righteousness that I couldn't provide, and that I am safe, I am forgiven, solely based on what this advocate of mine has accomplished. That he stands between me and the righteous judge and pleads my case as the one who has paid for my sin for me. Lord, might that beautiful proclamation find its way into the base of every soul represented here today. Ultimately, Lord, if I have made it confusing, would you clarify it so that this great gospel of Christianity might be seen, heard, and understood by all who are here? Father, if you have brought someone here today who's still trying to provide enough on one side of the scale to balance out the bad, 
just showed them that there's not enough. The only hope that any of us have is that justice was ultimately satisfied by the finished work of Jesus Christ. We cling to him. We cling to him. Oh, how we cling to him. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.